Ali, do you remember when we went to Portland? Yeah, sometime in the distant week past. <laughs> <laughs> we had vegan Sri Lankan food. We hung oh, out with it was cool so nerds. good. We went to Rose City Comic Con. We did. We went to Rose City Comic Con. It was such a blast. We had an amazing time. I really liked how it had the feeling of a big con, like the San Diego Comic Con, but it was small mm-hmm. enough that I felt like I got to see everything and like talk yeah. to people. And I, I would really recommend it. And also, we highly got highly recommend. Yeah, and we got to record a live episode. Yeah, we did a live recording of our podcast at Rose City Comic Con, and we talked about like how we use violence in our writing, and we were so lucky to be joined by two incredible authors. Fonda Lee, the author of The Green Bone Saga, the first book of which is the award-winning Jade City, and also her latest book is Untethered Sky. And then also Lauren Bucus, the author of The Shining Girls, hugely acclaimed book, which is now a TV show on Apple TV. And her latest book is Bridge. Yeah, so you're going to hear now the actual live episode that we actually were not sure if the audio was going to be good enough. So very pleased that it turned out. And on our mini episode next week, uh, we're going to give you the Q&A from Rose City Comic Con, where we kind of get a little bit deeper into the topic of violence. And it was actually some really good questions. And that reminds me, if you want to support this podcast, we do it all thanks to you donating through Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash ouropinionsarecorrect. If you support us, you will get access to our Discord, plus all of our amazing mini episodes. And... You're just any amount of money you can give us, five bucks, 10 bucks, helps make our opinions more correct and brings you awesome things like this live episode. Yeah, so this is us coming at you live from the past in Portland, Oregon at Rose City Comic Con. Today we really wanted to talk about violence and where violence fits into our stories. We're not going to be trying to hurt you with um, with violence, so you know there's no. I don't believe we're going to need to have trigger warnings for anyone. We're going to be talking about the craft of violence and where it fits into our work. All of us have written about different kinds of violence um, and have explored the theme of how it fits into our lives and when we should engage in it and when we shouldn't. So I think we're going to have just a conversation about our work, but also like the larger questions. Yeah. So Charlie, do you want to start us off? I'd love it if we could all just talk for a minute about like our work and how violence factors into it. And Lauren, do you want to start off? So all my books are quite violent. Um, my kid has um, a friend that she's talking to and she asked if there was a book that might not be so violent that he might be able to read. And I was like, oh, I, I just don't think so. <laughs> um, but the reason I write into violence is because I grew up under apartheid South Africa, which was a utopia for white people like me. And I've grown up with systemic violence. South Africa has, like, the highest Gini coefficient in the world, which is the divide between rich and poor. Uh, we have a history of colonialism. We have a history of a deeply racist state which tortured people to death. Uh, there was a chemical weapons program. It was absolutely horrifying. 
We also have one of the highest rates of gender-based violence in the world, and this is something that I'm constantly writing into, and I find that there's a lot of noirish elements in my book because I'm very interested in the fracture points of society and how violence affects us, how systemic violence affects us, including racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, you know, all the horrible things we have to deal with all, all the time. So that's very present in my work, and I try to write it in a way that feels real and horrifying, um, and sometimes that can be quite upsetting. I came to writing um, at a pretty young age, was a big fan of science fiction fantasy and a huge bookworm. Um, I also, at a relatively young age, started studying martial arts. So those have been uh, two major threads in my life, um, creativity and martial arts. Um, so that has a huge influence on my work. Um, my debut novel was a book called Zero Boxer. It was about a prize fighter who was competing in the future in the sport of zero gravity combat. So that was my debut, and then my next two novels were um, like military science fiction with um, bioengineered teen soldiers, and then I have a gangster family saga with uh, like Wuxia-style superpowered kung fu fighters. And my latest piece is a story about. Um, a young woman who trains rocks, the mythological birds of prey, to hunt man-eating manticores. So there's a lot of action um, in pretty much everything that I write. Um, and, uh, and I also come from just having been very inspired growing up by, um, by kung fu movies and Bruce Lee and you know, The Matrix when it came out. So a lot of my stuff is um, heavily influenced by cinema as well. Um, and I love a good fight scene. I love putting violence into the story in a way that ups the narrative stakes, is entertaining, and hopefully is thought-provoking. I also have a lot of um, different kinds of violence in my work. I do have in my novels a lot of fight scenes. Um, there's a very intense war scene, a couple of different wars in the terraformers, which were very hard to write. But I also um, write about psychological violence a lot. I'm really interested in the ways that trauma and psychological harm erupt into real-life physical harm. I shouldn't say real-life, but erupt into physical harm, erupt into acts of what are often called now stochastic terrorism, where people are inspired by things that they read online or in books to just suddenly take a gun and shoot a bunch of people in a mosque um, or in a mall. And I just finished I write both nonfiction and fiction, and uh, my latest nonfiction book, which is coming out next spring, is a history of psychological warfare in the United States, uh, which required me to spend a lot of time thinking about how we harm each other psychologically and how that um, fragments our, our cultures. And so um, that's just something that uh, continues to interest me, and it's sort of my way into this question of violence. And um, it's definitely influenced by real-world stuff that's going on, like Lauren, um, you know, I, I see a lot of violence around me, and particularly uh, the way that we harm each other through rhetoric and misinformation. Uh, but also, I grew up in a very um, psychologically abusive home, uh, which I wrote about a lot in my second novel, Future of Another Timeline. Um, and I think that that's, I think that intimate family psychological abuse is deeply tied to authoritarianism and political abuse. And I think that they're part of the same system. And so that's, again, something I'm, I'm very interested in exploring. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there in what all the three of you said. I'll just add really quickly that violence is kind of a huge theme in my work. Uh, I wrote a novella called Rock Man and Goes for Broke, which is all about slapstick comedy and extreme violence and how the two kind of blur together at a certain point. 
Uh, my novel, City in the Middle of the Night, has like a badass killer who's killed tons and tons of people who suddenly like something breaks inside her and she can't touch a weapon. She just can't, she's unable to touch a weapon anymore. She just is, is something, she just has a block. And um, in my YA trilogy, the main character kills a bunch of bad guys and then has kind of a nervous breakdown about it and realizes that she can't, she doesn't want to kill people. That's, she wants to be a hero, but she, the thought of just killing all the bad guys is something that just revolts and nauseates and upsets her. And so she just can't. So I think that's a theme I obviously struggle with a lot in my work. I wanted to just kind of unpack the notion of violence because I feel like, like something that all three of all four of us have actually kind of touched on a little bit already is that violence covers a lot. Like the word violence covers a lot of different types of stuff. There's like cool fight scenes, but there's also you know imprisoning people as a form of violence. There's psychological violence, like Anna Lee talked about. There's unfortunately sexual violence that is very you know a huge theme in our culture right now. There's many different types of violence and like often those get undifferentiated in, in kind of pop culture and in how we talk about violence. And I was wondering if those kind of different types of violence are something that we think are worth exploring or thinking about mindfully when we're, when we're kind of dealing with it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, what do you guys think? What are the different kinds of violence that you incorporate or that are incorporated into our work? And how do you differentiate? Like, what's the difference between a fight scene and body horror, for example? Right. Well, from a purely craft standpoint, if I step back and look at this as a writer, I think a lot of it comes down to the audience that you're writing for and the genre expectations. Right? Like if you, you, you can absolutely lump, like there's so many different types of violence, but the type of violence that you as an audience member, as a reader or a viewer, expect to encounter when you open a book of, that's a psychological thriller or a horror novel is completely different than if you buy a ticket to the next Marvel movie. So you're going in with certain expectations of how am I going to be uh, treated as, as a viewer. And um, as a writer, you have to be cognizant of that. And um, what is sort of the, what's expected and what are sort of the guardrails around violence when you're writing a piece of fiction. Um, if I have, if I'm writing a middle grade novel, I have very different boundaries as to what I'm going to put what level of violence and what type of violence I'm going to put into a middle grade novel as opposed to if I'm writing an adult horror novel. Um, so from just a, like a, a purely sort of big picture perspective, um, you know, what are the, think carefully about what is the audience expecting and like what type of violence are they going to be comfortable with because they're consenting to be afflicted with this violence when they open your book or go into your film or read your comic. Yeah, that's really, I, I love the way you put that, that they're kind of, by picking up a certain type of genre book, you're consenting to a particular way that you're going to experience violence. What do you think, Lauren? Um, so I've written in children's animation, and we, I was the head writer on South Africa's first half-hour animated TV show, which ran for 104 episodes. And we had specific guidelines from the South African Broadcasting Corporation, which is that we weren't allowed to show kids hitting each other, for example. Uh, it was a show age... 7 to 11. So we had a lot of giant robot battles. Um, but unlike uh, Fonda Lee, I'm not, like in awe of the fact that you've actually done martial arts, that you are like great at choreographing like fight scenes. And that kind of circumstance, I usually just hand it over to the people I'm working with. I'm like, I don't know what happens. Like there's a fight and then it's got to resolve. And it's the same with comics. I had an epic fight scene at the end of a uh, spin-off of Fables. Um, it's called Ferris the H Hidden Kingdom. And it's a J-horror take on Rapunzel because it's all about the hair. And yeah, we had this huge fight scene with all the yokai at the end, and I was like, I said to the artist, Inyaki, I was like, dude, like, I don't even know what happens, just have a cool fight scene, 
And, uh, and this is the plot point which needs to come out of it. And he did this incredible DPS, and it was great to lean into somebody else's expertise, and, and, and it was really fun. But in my novels, it's, I try to write violence realistically, and, and some people have found it really upsetting. I got some bad reviews of The Shining Girls where people were, some people said that it was uh, gratuitous and, like, too violent. And, you know, like, I went back and looked at it because I, I take criticism seriously, and I was like, cool, like, could I have done this better? And there, there are some body horror, Im- you know, stuff, but it's, it's also a serial killer novel. But I think what people were responding to is also the emotion of the violence. Because usually those scenes I wrote from the woman's perspective. And, you know, it's a black woman in the 1945 in America, and she's working in the shipping yards, and her husband's died at sea and um, in the war and has not got a medal because he's black. So we've got some systemic violence happening there. And the killer attacks her, and she's fighting for her life. And it's so emotional, and she's thinking of her kids. And I think that's kind of where I want to come at violence from, is the emotional impact, like what it does to us on a human level, what it means when we lose someone, um, and the ripple effects that that has to everyone around us. So it did make me think about how I write violence going forwards, but I also try to write into... I, I want you to be upset. There's the, the main scene in The Shining Girls. I wanted you to put the book down and go away and, like, fortify yourself with a cup of tea or a double shot of whiskey or whatever your poison is and then, like, come back to it. Because it should upset us. It's, it's awful. And on the flip side of that, I've, I've had a handful of people come up to me, and they've never told me exactly what happened, but a handful of women have come up to me at various points over the last 10 years and said, the way you wrote about it was true to my experience mm-hmm. and to what I went through, and I really appreciate the way you wrote about that trauma. And for me, that means, like, the world. So, yeah. But, but you know, it is, I, I, it is a difficult balance. I, I do want people to be upset. It should be upsetting. Yeah, I think one thing that you just said brought to mind, you know, in addition to the, when we think about violence, the genre boundaries and what's expected um, based on, like, what the audience is buying into, there is just also an element of the spectrum, right? Like, how, how true to life and how realistic you want it to be. Um, and I find that as a science fiction and fantasy writer, I'm always kind of walking this line where I want my, my, want my fantasy work to feel very grounded and to feel very authentic, very real, even though it's a secondary world, it's a completely you know, different um, society, or maybe it's in the far future, I still want everything that happens to those characters to feel authentic and to have lasting consequences. At the same time, Sometimes there, there's always that speculative element. They have some sort of magic powers, or there's some high tech, or it's you know there's some element. So even by the the fact that there is that element automatically removes it a several degrees from our own lived experience. And then part of my job is to kind of claw it back to to make you accept the speculative element so that you believe in the violence. But there's almost a bit of a safety net because of the genre boundary that's been placed there. I, I often talk about science fiction genre as a kind of a distorting mirror on reality that allows us to see reality more clearly. Yeah. Um, because, you know, a lot of these issues are very close to home um, and very raw and very real. And to be able to write about stuff, you know, like, let's be real, like, you know, most women are not killed or femme people are not killed by a serial killer. Um, they're killed by the people who say they love them and the men who say that they love them. But... And The Shiny Girls is a way of writing about misogyny and a way of writing about violence against women 
in a way that was also incredibly engaging and that people would like, you know, people weren't going to sit and read a, like a tract about domestic violence, but I could talk about misogyny and violence through the lens of a time-traveling serial killer. I also, if I can just add to that, um, I think what's so interesting is like at the time that I was writing it, which was in 20, so it came out in 2013, yeah, there was this psych, uh, serial killer narrative which was quite very gratuitous and very kind of, oh, you were on the shoulder of the serial killer and you were kind of stalking the victim and it was kind of sexy and fucked up. Yeah. Um, and the Hannibal Lecter model and the, the Lecter TV show, you know, like he's diabolical and he's so intense and so interesting and, and like fascinating and like this broken man who had this terrible thing happen to them and that's why it explains everything. And real serial killers are not like that. And it was so amazing in the TV show to have Jamie Bell, who was last seen, or I last saw him in Billy Elliot. Um, this is what ballet does to you, don't let your children dance. Um, <laughs> you grow up to be time-traveling serial killers. But he played the perfect incel serial killer, this broken little shit who, who kills women because he's so broken inside, not because he's diabolical and fascinating. And it was perfect. I really appreciated that. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that, like, on the topic of genre expectations, this is something I think about a lot. I always try to kind of play with the expectations set up by a particular genre, and, like, I try to, I often like to mash up genres, and I like to kind of pull the rug out from other, under the reader, but you do have to be really careful with that, doing that with violence. Like, I don't know, in All the Birds in the Sky, it starts off as, like, a cute story about little kids, and then by the end, people are getting shot in the head, and there's, like, actual, like, mayhem, and, like, layering in the expectation that like stuff is going to get darker or stuff is going to get more intense is a, is a really tough balancing act. And I think that you do have to kind of hold the reader's hand a little bit if you're going to get to that level of kind of, whoa, things are getting really intense and dark. Um, I also think that, yeah, like the more you can use like surface level violence to kind of get at the structural aspects of violence, which I'd love to talk, I hope we all talk more about, then it becomes more than just like somebody shot somebody, it's like somebody shot somebody and this is emblematic of like a larger, like the violence inherent in the system as, as Monty Python says. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break and when we come back, there's going to be even more of our conversation from Rose City Comic Con. I often think when I'm including a scene of violence in my novels that... Um, what really matters is, I think, what we've all been talking about a little bit, which is context. Like, how do you contextualize the violence for the reader? Mm -hmm. And I think with a lot of violence, there's, there's kind of two basic pathways you can take. You can be exploring violence in order to hurt the reader, to make the reader feel how terrible something is. And then if you take that path further, you can say, all right, and I want to leave the reader in the end with the sense that the world is violent and broken and horrible. And I just reread the novel 1984, um, which ab absolutely does this. Um, if I, maybe you read it in high school and you, and you don't remember, but like literally half the book is just um, Winston Smith being tortured. And it ends with like, yep, and the world is a giant torture machine. The end. Goodbye. Um, and, uh, you know, no, no shade on that novel. I mean, obviously, it's incredibly uh, an important uh, literary work, but um, that's one direction. And then I think the other direction, and this is where I like to go, is uh, a version where you have aftercare. And I, I think you can have a violent scene and then sit with the reader afterward and kind of care for them and either contextualize it in a kind of social um, framework where you're like, this is something much bigger, this is a system that we can fight, or 
Um, like what I did in my second novel, Future of Another Timeline, which does have a group of teenage girls murdering men who are um, menacing them, there's a scene in there which I thought a lot about where the main character has had an illegal abortion, so she's already really freaked out and pissed off. And she discovers, along with her friends, that there's a teacher at their school. This isn't really a spoiler. There's a teacher at their high school who's been tricking their fellow girls into going to his house and like letting him take pictures of them. And he keeps promising them, you know, I, mean, I can help you be a model. Um, so they find out that he's doing this. And so they figure out a way to kind of get invited to his house. And he starts showing them his like lookbook. And they're obviously really pissed off. They're like riot girls. They know what they're going to do. And they're like, what are you doing to these girls? And he's like, no, no, they wanted it. They liked it. And the main character just loses her shit. And they were just going to try to scare this guy. But she jumps him. She smashes him over the head with a bottle. And she's like, they didn't like it. And she jams her thumbs into his eyeballs, OK? <sighs> but then the next scene is this amazing scene of solidarity with all these women in a different place who are like having this party and who are celebrating like joy. And so you're led out of this violent scene into a scene where it's like, no, female solidarity does not have to always be murdering shitty high school teachers. Aww. It can also be, I mean, I know. It can also be joy and pleasure and like having a nice party where you plan to overturn the patriarchy in a gentle, friendly way. Um, so I thought a lot about that, about how I would try to, con how once we'd had this horrible scene, I wanted people to feel like, held and hugged and to get aftercare and feel like, no, there's, it's okay, it's all right, like, you know. Um, but that's not how you have to handle it. I, I also have total respect for, um, for the other way of doing it, uh, for just like, yeah, and now everything's fucked up. Um, <laughs> so, all right, I wanted to um, lead us into our next conversation, which is I really wanted to ask you guys about uh, whether you think about violence as part of the pacing of a story. Like, do you feel like oh, we have to have a scene here that's like action or violence or some kind of physical intensity. Is it, is it pacing? Is it like plotting? How, does it, how do you plan putting it in? I love how you think I'm that level of organized writer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just intuitive. I just kind of, I know where I'm going ultimately and I know some things which have to happen along the way, but I'm not that kind of structured, brilliant person. I am super structured. Yeah, of, course of course you are. I, of course. I, um, I do really think about like where the violence goes in terms of the narrative pacing, um, but not in a sort of formulaic, you know, every four chapters I should have a fight scene. I think that would be incredibly artificial and limiting. Um, but one thing that I absolutely do always think about is where to place the violent scenes for maximum effect and for their narrative importance. And one of the reasons why I'm not going to have two or three big fight scenes in a row is because they're going to lose their impact. You're going to get action fatigue. And um, one of the things that I'm always um, cognizant of when I'm putting a big violent scene that's going to be a narrative turning point is that it doesn't come out of nowhere. Ideally, a scene like that should feel surprising when it happens, but also in retrospect, seem entirely inevitable. So every action scene isn't just the scene where the violence happens, it's the lead up to that scene, the pressure that builds or whatever it is that makes that violence eventually erupt, and then the narrative consequences on the characters, on you know, the events of the story. So the, that scene is more than just that scene. There's like kind of the, the, the border of borders of it. 
Um, and that's why the story should always feel like there's this ebb and flow of tension. And one big element of tension is the threat, the physical threat and, and potential violence. Yeah, I mean, I set out to write this like space opera trilogy, and I sort of what part of what I was thinking is like we need lots of space battles. We need to have like space battles all the time. Like, and actually, some of the feedback I got from my editor, from some other people, is like, yeah, uh, there's too many space battles. They feel too repetitive. They're slowing down the story. They're actually the story's getting bogged down in space battles. We don't necessarily need like three space battles here where like there's a cool maneuver or there's a, another cool trick or something. Maybe have one space battle that's really cool and memorable and not have three that are just kind of like cool and interesting but still just a space battle. And like I really thought about that a lot. And for the third book especially, I really was like, okay, I want to like do this mindfully and like every space battle is like also a turning point for the characters and is also like an emotional, you know, situation that is changing something that's going to be, that is changed in a permanent kind of meaningful way. And I want to surprise the reader. Like, so for in the third book, minor spoiler, there's a place where you're like, they were going to have a really awesome space battle. And then like, nope, it just turns into basically they, they go sailing into a trap and it's a massacre and a bunch of people die in a very kind of anticlimactic way on purpose. And later, you know, then there's more of a battle, but it's not what you're expecting it to be. And I just was like, how can I keep turning expectations on their head so that when these things happen, it's not just like, okay, I saw that coming, I saw that coming, oh, now it's happening, and it, there's a maneuver and we're doing a thing. It's more like, oh, okay, whoa, no, this is, yeah. And like, and I tried to actually, part of that, and this is something I think about a lot when I'm doing anything there was an, where there's an antagonist or a villain or whatever, is like, the villain also is thinking about like what they're going to do and they they probably know that there's going to be they they also think there's going to be a battle and what are they going to do about it and like maybe they found a way to avoid the battle because they're smart and like you know they don't necessarily want to have a battle right now because why would they and so you know and trying to and trying to kind of think about it from that side so that when you do get violence it feels like just a shock rather than just like, oh, yes, we're getting the, it's right on schedule, you know. I've written a number of books where actually there was sort of built into the story these, these incidents of violence that were very regular. So my first book, Zero Boxer, was there, it's a, he's a prize fighter. So he's at a tournament and there's like a considerable number of fights that he has to go through. Um, and I'm, I'm writing right now another book where there's sort of a tournament um, storyline. And so the challenge there is, yeah, I don't want these all to feel repetitive. I don't want it to feel like, oh, okay, he's going to another fight. So each one has to have uh, a different tone to it. And there's times when I'm just going to skip through a few of those. But whatever next combat situation this character is in, there has to be a reason that I'm putting you in the scene to show you this particular thing happening. And I've actually had readers say, like, oh, I thought your book would be more action-packed, because, but... You know, to me, it's not about the quantity. It's, it's like the quality and the impact of them. I think, yeah, I think also you have to earn it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. It is, you know, it's disquieting to me about how, you know, because I'm not moralistic. My, my books are very dark and there's quite a lot of horror and there's quite a lot of, like, violence. And why do I write that? I think it's, it's partly cathartic. You know, I think some of the, some of the darkest writers I know, like uh, Paul Tremblay and Grady Hendrix and... Um, Mariana Enriquez are the nicest human beings mm -hmm. you've ever met in your entire life. The it's kindest. So true. Horror writers are the nicest. The most generous, the most like 
fuzzy. Like they will have your back. They will like come to like your aid. Um, they don't have cute cats. Totally. <laughs> or cute beards or like just, you know. And But I also think that you get a lot of the darkness out on the page. And I think... I think the human experience is that we are full of rage and we're full of violence and there are ways to kind of play with it and play it out and part of storytelling is also for me I think kind of looking at how that affects society um, and writing into that but yeah I'm feeling a little bit unnerved about why my books are quite so violent now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well I really like the violence in your books so I'm, gonna, I'm on the like A plus right. good job yeah. okay. I think you're in, the, you're in good company yeah, yeah. I've, I've, also, I've also written for kids so you know I'm fuzzy I, even though I don't have a beard I also think I've heard people compare a good violent scene in a movie to like the scene in a musical where people burst into song. It's like this super, it's like a hyper compressed burst of emotion that's very physical where people are doing things that they normally don't do with their bodies. And it just serves as this like punctuation mark. Um, and I love that. I wanted to get to the morality question um, uh, about violence because I think we're kind of trapped in, uh, at least in the United States, we're trapped in this debate over violence, which comes out of really talking about video games, where you have the kind of concerned parents uh, who are worried that video games are making their children violent. Um, and then on the other side, I think you have, you know, on sort of the extreme other side, you have a kind of libertarian idea that, like, do whatever you want, like have as much violence as you want, it doesn't affect anyone, you should just be allowed to express whatever you feel on the page, on the screen, um, and, and it has no repercussions whatsoever. And I wonder how you guys grapple with that, like how do we get away from both of those ends of the spectrum, which I think are not helpful ways to frame it? Well, I think it's very concerning and messed up that I believe the weapons manufacturers get a licensing fee for using their guns in video games. Um, and every time whatever appears, obviously I'm a deep weapons expert, um, <laughs> you know, they, they'll actually get a licensing fee. And like encouraging people to use that, I was at the Cheltenham Science Festival recently and it was kind of messed up because the careers tent was actually an arcade and the three major exhibitors there were um, Northrop Gunman, whatever it is, BAE Systems and Lockheed Martin. And my 15-year-old came with me, and she was like, oh, I'm going to mess with them. And she, like, goes up to them, and she's like, but aren't you in the weapons? Don't you make weapons? They're like, no, 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 we're in the defense industry. Um, and to be fair, like, I think Lockheed Martin helped build the James Webb telescope, so there is that aspect to it. But it's also, I don't think it's, what was interesting was one of the people was also telling me about how they've actually adapted the tank controllers to be an Xbox controller, because that is what kids are familiar with. So I do think that there is a line to that. And I do think, I see the British Army has got a lot of ads out at the moment in London. And my kid was also noticing them and she was like trying to find out like why there's so many ads. And they may, they're like, they're ridiculous. It's something about like, you know, like the most fun you can have, join the army. It's like, sorry, what? <laughs> and the violence there is that it's September, which means that a lot of kids have not got into the universities that they wanted to go to. And now they're being advertised to as the army is a fun time and they get to use Xbox controllers and they played Call of Duty and they played all these other games and it was fun blowing people up. Um, I, I don't know what the direct line is. I mean, I love a violent video game. It's really cathartic and fun, but I do think people, it can become the same way, I guess, hardcore pornography and like can become desensitizing. 
Do you worry about that in your work, though? Like when you're writing a violent scene or, or publishing a book, do you worry that people read it and it will inspire them? Like, is that something that, that you think is, is a real concern? I don't think so. I think because the violence is, is messed up and it's not, it's not sexy and it's not a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there might be someone who, like, takes that to heart. But it's also, I'm not putting you in that position. Like, I very rarely write from the killer's perspective in, like, the actual... I mean, I, no, I do sometimes. That's not true. Um, but it's, but you're not, it's not a fun time. It's not sexy. You're not sitting there going like, oh, yeah, like, you know, get that knife right into her eyeball. Um, <laughs> yeah. The thing that is, is so incredibly frustrating, I think, about the uh, whole discourse of video games and violence, et cetera, in the United States is uh, Japan has, like, the world's highest per capita consumption of video games, and they have, like, a, just a... a incredibly small fraction of Mm. the amount of violence that we have. Um, So I don't think that violence, I think there is absolutely a level of like what is age appropriate when it comes to violence in children's media. Mm. Um, But I don't, um, unless I'm writing for kids, I'm, I'm usually writing for adults. I think that we have always used violence in our stories to process the world mm-hmm. and to better understand it. And that in ever since, you know, we were cave people around a fire, <laughs> we have told violent stories, right? Like everything from the Greek myths to Beowulf to, you know, all everything that we've, we've told, I mean, go back to the original fairy tales. They're horribly violent, right? And all, like violence in stories it is off, has been the way that we have, like as primitive people been like, okay, if you wander away from the tribe and go into the dark forest, really bad things can happen to you and you could be eaten by a bear. And graphically, we're going to tell you exactly how that's going to happen so that um, you don't have to go through that experience yourself, right? And that you, we can learn as a society what the consequences are of certain actions. So that's what I, I don't... People have asked me, it's like, oh, well, you know, do you, you know, worry about the violence you put in there? I just worry about telling a good story. Um, and I tell a story that I, I feel um, doesn't gloss over the violence, that is going to present it authentically, um, that is going to feel like true to the characters, true to the world that I've created. Um, and then people can decide whether or not they want to partake in that. If I can just add to that. Um, so the Catalan and Spanish editions of Bridge, and it's about an alternate reality, and she experiences multiple versions of herself. And one of them is a domestic violence victim. And the cover of Bridge in, it was either the Spanish or the Catalan edition, it's kind of like ripped pages and you see the different faces, like multiple through. And the one had a black eye and she was bleeding and like, you know, a little corner of blood from her mouth. Um, but she was also beautiful. And I was like, I just feel very uncomfortable with this. And I have uh, friends who are experts in domestic violence, violence against women in South Africa. And I ran past them. I'm like, am I overreacting here? And they were like, absolutely not. So there is a risk of, like, glamorizing violence. And my publisher was amazing. I was like, look, I just feel uncomfortable with this. I think these are the reasons why. They were like, oh, my God, absolutely. No, no problem at all. And they changed it immediately. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I guess, I mean, I actually... I, I love violent media. Like, I just watched John Wick 4, and I really loved it. I thought it was super fun. I love, like, super cartoony action movies where there's just, like, a huge body count, and it's just... It's like, you know... It feels like a cartoon, and it doesn't feel like real violence. I, I actually find that very cathartic at times. I feel like it can be actually just very kind of 
a, a healthy way of dealing with the frustrations of the world in a way, as long as as long as you're able to process that it's it's fictional. And I think that people are able to make that distinction between fantasy and reality. I think that like a healthy a human mind can actually make that distinction. But I think that, you know, in my own work, I do try to, you know, if I kill a bunch of people, I then go and say, well, this person who we just killed, who was just an anonymous bad guy, was a prize gardener and like actually like really loved, you know, growing vegetables and just got drafted into being part of this war and didn't actually even really want to be there, but we just killed him and that's too bad. And like, I try to put a human face on anybody that I kill because I want to, and I try to mourn the people I kill in my books. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying violence and, and taking pleasure in, you know, in mayhem. Um, I just think, yeah, it has to be a good story and it has to, and I think that the problem is when it's sort of, when the lines between fantasy and reality get blurred in various ways, like what you were talking about with the video game controllers in tanks, that makes me very uncomfortable. And obviously we have a problem in this country with gun fetishism and with, you know, basically we're all hostage to the, the, the gun lobby. And, you know, that's a terrifying fact that, you know, does blur fantasy and reality in a terrible way. I mean, I think in, in the U.S. context where we have these debates over violence and guns, um, often the same, you know, policymakers um, are, are kind of making the argument that guns should be legal everywhere. Everyone should be able to get access to guns without any kind of background check. But at the same time, we shouldn't uh, allow kids or even adults to have access to video games or stories that have violence that we don't like. And because of the fact that, you know, if kids are exposed to this stuff, they're going to become violent. And that just feels really convenient to me, the idea that we're going to blame art and creative works for violence that's being created by the state um, and being created by people's access to deadly weapons when they're in, uh, you know, perhaps really fragile mental states. Um, so I, I think a lot of that rhetoric really is this effort to blur fantasy and reality in a way that people don't actually, like you were saying, I think people are able to distinguish the difference. Um, but if you have an actual gun in your hand, you know, that's the problem, not having, you know, not having the controller in your hand and, and just playing with, um, playing Baldur's Gate or whatever, um, having having sex with a wolf guy. Uh, bear, bear guy, sorry. Thank you so Thank much, you, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to our live recording, the magic of recorded liveness. Uh, <laughs> if you just somehow stumbled on this podcast, where our opinions are correct, and you can find us wherever you find podcasts. And we really appreciate you subscribing. And if you really like us, please leave a review because it makes a huge difference. Also, you can find us on Mastodon at wandering.shop slash our opinions on patreon.com slash our opinions are correct and on instagram at our opinions thanks so much to our incredible audio producer veronica simonetti thanks to chris palmer and katia lopez nichols for the music and thanks again to you for listening uh we'll be back in two weeks with another episode but if you're a patron you'll get a mini episode next week and we'll be hanging out with you on discord bye